from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wow Report. I am Fenton Bailey, co-founder of World of Wonder, joined as ever by Tom Campbell, our Chief Creative Officer. Hello, all. And James St. James, legendary showbiz personality of the screen and stage. Wow! Um, you know what? It's the last, it's our last live show of this year. Well, and topical I'm, show, you know. And I'm barely alive, so thank God. All right. Well, we're doing what we normally do, counting down the top 10 things of the week that made us go, wow! wow. Number 10, Tom. Number 10. I watched on Netflix, Leave the World Behind. The feel-bad, post-apocalyptic <laughs> movie of the, of the Christmas season. Are starred... there any feel-good, post-apocalyptic Christmas movies? <laughs> no. um, with Julia Roberts, Ethan Hawke, Mahershala Ali, who I love, and Mahala Harold. Uh, the setup, I can tell you, which is this one couple... You know, Ethan Hawke and, and Julia Roberts are li- they live in Brooklyn and they look like they live well, but their their bed is against a wall and it's painted, but there's a crack in the plaster <laughs> like there are in some old buildings. Just to let you know that they're wealthy, but they're not that wealthy. <laughs> they're wealthy and they're white and they're beautiful. And she's and she's packing for us. She's like, hey, hon, what's up? She goes, I just decided we need to get away. We need to spend more time together. So while while you were sleeping, I got us an Airbnb in the Hamptons, not too close to the water, but close to the water. And it's a hamlet, and we're gonna go there and I'm packing let's go and he goes babe what made you think this way and she looks out the window and she's Julie Roberts she's beautiful she goes you know I just looked out the window and saw everybody getting ready for work and feeling fulfilled and tackling the world and then the camera closes in on Julia Roberts she goes and then I realized I hate people so that's that's how it starts well she came to the right place today Here on the so, Wow Report, where we so hate everyone. <laughs> weird crap keeps happening. They get there. It's The place is beyond beautiful. You know, it's this huge, and why do they get there? And then they go to the beach, and I, 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 strange things start happening, akin to planes falling out of the sky, oil tankers coming ashore, and they're like, this is weird. And they kind of go back to their paradise, it's all metaphorical, I'm sure. And then in the middle of the night, knock, 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 knock. And it's supposedly the owners of the house a, a, in a tuxedo black man and his daughter. And they said, oh, we had to leave the city and could we come stay here? And they together, this unlikely, and, they're, and, and uh, 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 Julia and Ethan's children, teenage children, they all spend this time together as the world starts to fall apart. But they are taking it all with expensive whiskey, expensive red wine, the, the, the gaps for conversation and, and sort of, you know, little parlor kind of movies where it's like, oh, this couple breaks up and they talk in this room and this couple talks in this. It's kind of like that. But it's like the world's ending. It's just so sanitized, I guess. It's, it's provocative and interesting. It goes it's slow. Fenton, you're halfway through. Yeah, I'm I'm halfway through, and it's definitely an exercise in building tension, and I'm sort of waiting for it all to come together. Because you guys are building a lot of tension here, and I'm waiting for a payoff. What's the big reveal? The big reveal is, is, 
It's more about our behavior under in such circumstances that it could happen. Let me spoiler alert in the first scene where what are this early scenes where the family is driving to the Hamptons? They're all on separate screens. What's and going on? It's a bit like the last year's apocalyptic Christmas movie from Netflix, which, you know, don't look up. It's a yeah. little bit and it's a little bit signposty, like we're bad people, we're living unbalanced lives, and nature's gonna run amok. And the surveillance, the the, the um, panoptic surveillance world in which we live in is not good, right? It's, yes, it's just duty time. We rely on the internet. We rely on news. And when that's taken away from us, who do we become? But it reminds me of, I never saw it, but Fenton, you explained the rock movie about the earthquake years ago, or maybe it was James, it was on the show, and how everyone had died except for this one family. But you saw no, you saw no carnage. You saw no bloody people. You saw no, you know, so it's like there's one scene. I'm going to spoil it because it's, it's been talked about because it involves Teslas. But they decide we're leaving the the Julia Roberts. We're leaving. Get in the car, which doesn't make any sense because, by the way, there's an electrical out, outage. Um, um, there's no way to get gas. Like, can you like, you know what L.A.'s like? Can you imagine? I, mean, I know it, and they keep, oh, it must be awful in the city. It'd be awful in the Hamptons, too. Do you know what I'm saying? It would just be like, so they try to get onto the they're driving on empty roads. No one to be seen. No one. They're the only people. And they say, well, if we get to the, the freeway or the interstate and there aren't people, I'm going to be concerned. It's like, bitch, you should already be concerned. There's nobody on the road. And they get to this on-ramp and it's clogged with crashed white Teslas. And they don't know what's, and they don't know what's going on. And so Julie gets out of the truck and the, and the husband stays in the thing. And she realizes, oh, my God. They're all floor models. They're all brand new. And then she realizes that they're being programmed by whoever. We don't never find out to crash into each other. And she looks back and this is the most action filled sequence is why I was pulling it. And she's like, get out of the car. And so she gets in the car and she has to get out of there before all the other white Teslas that have been programmed come and crash in the next car, crash in the next car. So she's like going against traffic. That part I felt very, I related to that. That felt like my morning. <laughs> the white Tesla thing. When cars run amok. And of yes. course, it's like contrasted with the natural world because animals starting to act very strangely, right? Yes. Migration patterns are disrupted and what have you. But it so doesn't you got- stop them from like stopping and listening to some vinyl, dancing, drinking. I mean, it's very weird. All of a sudden, they'll stop and talk. It's like you, no one got into survivalist mode. And there's Kevin Bacon. Sorry, he's in it. And he plays a survivalist. And they go to see him. And he's kind of like, what are you guys doing here? Which my Uncle Bob was like growing up. Because he had a bomb shelter. Because, you know, it's the same thing every generation. He had a bomb shelter. And one one Easter, Uncle Bob, who loved us, was a loving man, he had a bomb shelter for his wife and my cousin Candy in April. And we said, Uncle Bob, what would you do if we showed up your bomb shelter? He goes, I'd take out my gun and I'd shoot you. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, the sheer, no, to me, it's like just the, it was a tiny little dent because the pandemonium that would happen if that happened in LA, do you, like I have earthquake supplies. If the earthquake lasts, I'm going to be eaten for my water and my batteries. You know what I'm saying? It's like, so, so buy your cat. What, well, they'll, they'll fight back, but this whole, th- so it's a very, it's provocative. It's interesting. I say, watch it, but it, it, um, it, it, and it, and it kind of doesn't, which I don't mind. It has a really controversial ending, which I think is cool. And, um, and I don't mind uh, that it doesn't commit to a total, like it doesn't, point to some it points to a lot of different places that it could be but because they're isolated they never really know 
what's causing this. Oh, very intriguing. Leave the World Behind, streaming on Netflix, a moral fable, I guess, about our dependence on technology. Ironic, coming from the leading technology media company. <laughs> Amen. Number nine, James. Number nine. Number nine. I watched um, Radical Wolf, the Tom Wolf documentary on Netflix that came out. And um, Tom Wolf, of course, was one of the most famous journalists of the 60s and 70s, part of that nouveau journalism scene with Joan Didion and uh, George Plimpton and Hunter S. Thompson. And he was very famous for his style of writing, which, you know, like a car wasn't a car. It was a tangerine baby dream maker, vroom, vroom, where you want to go kind of deal. You know, everything. And he he just really over, it was overly verbose in in a way that it it seems sort of corny now to look back on it. But at the time, it was very radical. He wrote something. He wrote a very famous book called Radical Chic, in which was um, a, a dinner party. He he RSVP'd with Leonard Bernstein, hosted a party for the Black Panthers, and it was all these uptown society women mixing with the Black Panthers, and he skewered all of them. And then in the eighties, he wrote the right stuff, of course, which was huge, huge, huge. And then he turned to he turned from journalism to novel writing and wrote Bonfire of the Vanities. I mean, the novel the, of the that was of a the great movie. novel. Even though he who never reads read that one, that was amazing. Not yeah, a great film, but a great he's, novel. Yeah, a horrible, horrible movie book <laughs> adaptation. But he skewered uptown socialites. He skewered Wall Street. He skewered black politicians. He sort of had his finger on the pulse of what was happening in New York at the time. And then. He kind of became a victim of his own fame in a way that so many so many of those Truman Capote types in which he had this persona that he was a dandy and he always wore these white suits with high collars. And he was just very much he was very easy to caricature. And by the end of his career, he wasn't really the the writer that he was before he did this book. I am Charlotte, Charlotte, something or other. Um man in full in which he went to he followed um he was trying to do college kids and how they talked in their vernacular and he was like a 70 something year old man trying to talk in hipsterisms of the 2010s and it just it didn't quite work and he like i said he became a victim of his own fame i think is what happened and he passed away in 2018 i think but it's an interesting interesting documentary because i I don't know that I ever really bought into the Tom Wolf mythology, but I get it. I understand it. But it happened. Best- it happened. I was alive for some yeah. Just, and I'm- he was he was also part of that peak period of journalism with when Esquire was it, right? He wrote these amazingly long articles for Esquire, one of which was that kind of drag racer thing um yeah color he did that thing that like joe that george plimpton and joan didion did so well where he immersed himself in the hippie culture and the mm-hmm. drug culture of the 60s and was a part and, and was a, a, a viewed it but he was a part of it you know he was a part of his own story like Andres thompson in a yeah. way that that was fascinating and and i i don't know have you either of you watched it will you watch it i will I, watch it but i haven't I interviewed him once when we did a, a Squire, 80 Years of a Squire magazine. All right. All and right. 
I can't remember anything about it. I remember the house in the Hamptons, which was gorgeous. And he was wearing the white suit with the high collar. And he was just very nice and charming, but I can't remember a single thing about the Well, that's just, that's, I think you put the name, I think you nailed it right there, is that he was very erudite and, and well-spoken and, and, and had things to say, but in the end, what does it really matter? Because you don't remember anything for, except for the names of his book, The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test and... Bonfires of Andes was an uh, excellent moment. I mean, Mm. time passes, everything changes. I was distracted as you were talking about the the dogs bark and the caravan moves on as true. Yes. And and you're sort of saying he, um, you know, became a caricature. And then I was worried, are we in the caricature part of our careers? And I thought maybe we've always been caricatures and therefore we won't have to go through that period where we become caricatures. Maybe we just have always been caricatures. It's funny because I always had a theory about people becoming caricatures and that if you can be reduced to a (laughs) doodle, if you can be reduced to a a, a pencil doodle, like, you know, Phyllis Diller, John Sex, Carl Lagerfeld, then that means that you have a stick-to-itiveness, a stickiness. Yes. You know, that makes you uh, iconic. And he had that thing where you could instantly reduce it to a a pencil doodle and you would know who he was. And that's how he, and if you can become that kind of person, then your fame will live on after you. You're almost at doodle stage, James. Uh I'm trying, I'm trying to be doodle. (laughs) And this has nothing to do the story with Tom Wolf, the chief financial officer at World of Wonder, correct? <laughs> or Probably Thomas the- Wolf, the the uh, the the famous writer in the 1920s and 30s. Okay, just making sure, just making sure. Well, that's Radical Wolf, which is uh, airing on Netflix documentary. Number 8. Number 8. I had a weekend in Vegas. It's been a few years. I've sort of avoided Vegas lately, but Went to see Kylie Minogue. At and that's only half the story. Spoiler alert. That's only half the story. What a weekend you had. If you follow Fence on Instagram, you know, you know. It was a bit of a weekend, but I'm just going to start by talking about Kylie in Vegas. You know what? The amazing thing about Kylie's show was it was at the Voltaire in the Venetian. Ridiculously priced, but made sense because it's a tiny room. It's like less than a thousand people. And she is right there. And you are literally, you reach out and touch her. And the other thing, which I guess everybody knows about Kylie, she's tiny. She's absolutely tiny. Even though she was on a runway that went right through the room, even me standing up was taller than Kylie. I was looking down, even though, you know. Um, but the other thing about it was that she is just so adored. I mean, I've seen Kylie before at the Hollywood Bowl. All the gays in the village were there, all the love. But I guess when you put it in, her in a smaller room, just the intensity of love for her completely transforms the room. It was like a sort of magic experience. And um, she did all the hits. You know, she is Madonna-like in the fact that she's had a hit every decade. Cher-like. I mean, she's only 55, but she's just had her biggest hit, of course, Padam Padam. And that's my only note about the show. She kind of did it sort of as one of, not really even the encore. And it was sort of a short, I know Padam Padam is short. It's only like two and a half minutes long. But honey, I would begin with Padam Padam. I'd do Padam Padam in the middle. (laughs) And I'd end with a Padam Padam medley. I I might've just done Padam Padam the entire, because everybody went just, 
ballistic. Um, it was a really. I nice love the song. idea that if after every song ended, you just heard ba-dum, ba-dum. Ba-dum. underneath, like it was always there. It was always there. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's got a continual. It beat the like beat under the whole always thing. That would have been amazing. Um, love her. I mean, you. It's impossible not to if you're in that room, and um, you know she's got a lot of hits. And do you know she was 18 when she did with Stock Aiken Waterman do the locomotion? The I mean. Yeah. And everybody, again, went just crazy. It was interesting. I had my eye on this straight couple. I thought it was straight. Anyway, a lovely wife, I, I'm imagining, young. And then what I, who I thought was a very straight banker or accounting figure in chinos and a blue shirt. When Kylie came out, he went completely doolally. And I was like, oh, my God, does she know her husband is totally gay? <laughs> he was like completely like just dancing like a maniac almost crying and I was like I was just watching the two of them thinking how's this gonna how's this marriage gonna work out you know that was my presumptuous assumption anyway that that was what was going I on I have learned I've always known about Kylie I like her I love some of her songs a lot you can't help it because she's had yeah. so many no one has had a career she's you know she's she's people know her in America she's not unknown but she's not as big in America as she other places but no one's had a career that seems as flawless in terms of like she knows who she is she delivers who she is she's been through some changes and shifts but she never disappoints there's never been like a down period or a crisis period or a what were you thinking period she just seems to get better with age i love she is sort of one of those characters like robbie williams who has this huge 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 career everywhere in the world she's the biggest you know the, the biggest star in the world but they can't really Really become that big in America? Dom has tipped her over the. Uh, but did it? Uh, it came and it went so fast, though. Yeah, it all came. the all us gays absolutely adore her in a bonkers for her, and she was she was kind of touched by how much love there was in the room, and I guess maybe it was just a privilege of being able to see her that close because she just has this lovely impish, mischievous expression uh-huh. and does not look fifty five. Oh my god! Like she is perfectly preserved and looks 20 something you know and was just funny and lovely and warm and engaging and i i actually think she should do it forever like just be in that room because she would fill it from here to eternity um you know rather than having to do bigger bigger stadiums she's the intimacy worked really great awesome i can't recommend it enough all right oh and she was only on stage for 75 minutes there was a little burlesque show before, which was really good. Just like four or five burlesque numbers. And then a really short set. You know, leave them wanting more, right? Yeah. We'll take a quick break. Meet the Queens of RuPaul's Drag Race Season 16. Sweet 16 on our social media accounts now. Get ready for an all-new season. Coming to MTV, 8 p.m. January 5th. U.S. Drag Race, the original recipe, kids. Don't, don't. It's, it's an amazing season. And I know for a fact, I was, I was there. It is. Thanks to you, Tom. Partially, partially. It takes yeah. a village, people. Village people. Blake, do you have a question? Who is Alan Smithy? <laughs> we'll have the answer right after the break here on The Wow Report. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. And welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with James and Tom and Blake. Yes, and I asked, who is Alan Smithy? 
We all know, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. I think Alan Smithy, in this case, is Blake Jacobs. Mm-hmm. It's someone who directs a movie and then finds it so disgusting that he replaces his name with the name Alan Smithy. And I think in the credits this week, it should be Blake Jacobs slash crossed out Alan Smithy. Am I right? Well, there are way worse episodes of this show. <laughs> it's not over yet. It's not over yet. But follow-up question, was there ever a real Alan Smithy? And if not, where did the name get plucked from? I've got this written down. It's an official pseudonym used by film directors who wish to disown a project. It was coined in 68, and it was used until 2000. It was the pseudonym used by members of the DGA when directors dissatisfied with the final product proved to the satisfaction of the Guild panel that they had not been able to exercise creative control over a film. So... I don't think but they're really... But it doesn't say where the name itself No, I think it's more of a, just like a John Doe, but not John Doe. That'd be too obvious. It's just... All right. Well, you need to do a little bit more research there, Blake. Look, I know. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't claim to be an expert on Alan Smithy. Well, we, we, kept, we were lying to you quite a bit. <laughs> we are getting down the top 10 things of the week that made us go... Wow! wow. And we've reached number seven. Number seven. I'm finding it hard. You know, I love to go to a concert. I love to see. I'm finding things. It's harder and harder. And I'm I'm taking blame for this instead of blaming the world in finding joy in things. <laughs> oh, you're having anhedonia. Oh, is that it? I think that is what it's called. Anhedonia, where you can't get pleasure from anything. Because you'll see my story. We'll talk about it. There's lots to talk about. Thematically, it's interesting. I thought it was really well done and with lots of effort and everyone's on their A game. At the end of it, I was like, not good. Then when I was in New York last week, I was, you know, I love to see, I'm there for three days. I'm going to see three shows. I'm so proud of my, you know, usefulness. And I got tickets, which ended up being in the second row, my mistake, to see Merrily We Roll Along, which is a Sondheim show musical. It's never worked, but they finally got it to work. And so I get there. I sit down in the second row, which is too 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 small, too close. And I'm talking to a lovely lady next to me. And right before it starts, the usher comes and says, by the way, the first act is an hour and a half. So the person behind me said, so there's no intermission. The show's an hour and a half. He goes, no, 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 no. There is an intermission, and it's an hour and a half from now. So you need to use the bathroom. And then I made the crucial mistake of not going to the bathroom then. <laughs> so I sat. And I watched the opening number, and it's Daniel Radcliffe <laughs> and uh, I want to say Darren Chris. Um, and they're and it's I'm too close. It's seventies. Oh, Daniel Radcliffe and Darren Chris. I could watch them read the read the newspaper. The, well, the you should have And they're all in caftans and seventies wigs and young people pretending they're in the seventies. And it reminds me of Mace a little bit because it's you know sort of Sondheim with a wife and and you know this movie and, he, and the, the 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 party's all for him and it's, he's the hottest shit and he's ripping everybody apart and he's having an affair with the actress and and then his friend who he wrote real books with real art back in New York she's there and she's making fun of him and she's like a fool of herself and the wife is there and she can't believe it and at the end of the opening number he's like don't you see i hate my life (laughs) the cleric gets close to him and like julie roberts he goes i hate people he's like don't you see i'm i know this is all a joke and that it's not real art at that point unrelated my stomach went (laughs) and i was like oh i'm in the second row and i need to go to the bathroom 
Because I like also it's not like I think like it's gonna be an hour and a half till I go to the bathroom. So a panic sets in. Is it number one or number two? You know it's number two. Okay. You know it's a girl. <laughs> like that diarrhea on a plane story. You know, I'm, I, I told you that's my biggest fear is not the passengers, but being the one running down. So <laughs> I or when you went to SpongeBob, right? Oh yes, it wasn't SpongeBob, was it? it was, what's that musical with the eating plants? Oh, feed me, little shop of horrors. Thank you. Which, by the way, being vomited on would be horrible. The other would be worse. So I am now like. Watching an opening number, I wasn't fond of again. But I'm in this. What, what do I have again? What do I have? Andonium. What do I have? Andonia. Diarrhea. So <laughs> I have to get up, and I think, oh, I've got to get up. I have to be careful. The woman's going to let me through. I, I was like, do I leave my jacket, or do I take my jacket? And so at the last minute, I take my jacket. The woman next to me I had a really lovely talk with. She was up from Savannah, Georgia, visiting her daughter. She's like, what's going? Like she was just like concerned. Like what? And I went to the bathroom and you hear the dialogue and sort of start to flash back. I'm like, yeah, I'm not staying for another hour and a half until intermission. So I left. <laughs> it was How a three. You so you just 10 minutes, maybe 10 minutes hmm. into. And so I spent $300 to use the restroom at the theater. <laughs> I want to say it was not Darren Chris. It was Jonathan Groff. Thank you so much. I love Jonathan Groff. I love him too. Jonathan Groff is amazing. And he looked, he had some, like, but I was too close. And everybody, you know how you can sort of tell like their pants weren't pressed. It just felt like it was too close. It was too close. The happy ending, and I'll be quick, because I went and saw Titanic, which ah. is the parody of Titanic, which came from like Rockwell or something here, some tiny little theater. And it's a big success. And I was wearing a mask because I went with Marina and we wore masks just for our health concern. And uh, uh, in the audience was uh, Jinx and Dela who were doing their show the next day. Uh, uh, it was it's 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 a blast. It's fun. It's corny. Now, who is in that? Um, it is uh, Drew Dog is in. I was, wait, is Drew Dogi on on Broadway? Is that what you're telling me? It's off Broadway, but it's the Dar- It's it's in the village at the Darren Roth Theater. But it's it's this little, and it speaks to what you know we do with our Vegas. It's, it's it's that it's it's a not a Broadway show. It's an anti Broadway show. It's a parody. It's like a drag race sketch, but it goes on. and It's really well, and it's basically telling the story of the Titanic through the eyes of Celine Dion, who might have actually been there in her songs. What oh, love? That. And so the best the best part is every time something a vignette ends, she comes back out and goes, "Thank you very much." Like totally unaware that they're applauding for like who came out. So it's just stupid. And they do do a whole, it climaxes with uh, two queens stand before me prior to tonight. In order, they, they, they lip sync for their life to get a lifeboat. So, you know, <laughs> we have rubbed off on the pop culture. I can't sue them. <laughs> just for a minute. And then I was very, very flattered and very happy. So go see all those things. Don't trust me. But I'm having, I feel like I've seen so much. That it's hard to eat joy out of things. But that's, I'm, we'll work on that for weeks here on the air. <laughs> On Radio Andy. I love it. Number six. Oh, well, I should say Titanic. Yes. Where is it at the what theater? The Darren Roth Theater in the in the in the US. And it's gonna be there for the foreseeable future because everybody loves it. All right. I hope it goes on forever and ever. Yeah. Number six, James. Number six. Number six. Um there was a woman in my apartment building, Lillian, who passed away this week. And she um, was 
she lived in the building. She was 90 something years old. She'd been there since the late 60s. She moved in in the late 60s. She'd been a part of the, the building forever and ever and ever. And she was across the way from me. And it was the first building, the first window. And she was always in her window, always sitting in her window. And the window was always open. And she would talk to everybody as they walked back and forth. You couldn't leave the building or come in without passing the window and seeing Lillian. And she was always there chatting with everyone. And when I first moved in, she was very active and she would bake us all cookies and lemon bars and leave them on our doorsteps. And she was always in the pool every day and she would be swimming. And, and she she was just somebody that you just, you talk, I don't know her last name. I never knew her last name, I don't think. And in her later years, she had dementia a little mm. bit. There was a woman above me who had dementia as well. And the woman above me would sometimes knock on my door and just ask very sweetly what day it was or what month it was. And then I'd sort of walk her back to her apartment. And Lillian, near the end, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show, she would uh, she was in a wheelchair and she would sit butt na- buck naked in her wheelchair in her door or in the window and just chat. And at, stop and you'd start talking and she would just be, her boobs were in her lap. God bless her. I love but, that. Yeah, she, she was 90 something years old. It was hot. She didn't have air conditioning. Amen. And so I didn't, you know, I didn't care. And so she would just didn't talk. But it was that that dementia thing where sometimes the conversations would veer off and they'd go Mm -hmm. on and on and on, and you couldn't get away. And she had a caretaker who always looked after her and who was there every day. So nobody was worried. I wasn't worried about her. But you know, like when the electricity would go off, I'd check on her. And I as I was going to the grocery store, I'd she if, need, she if she needed something, but what's really sad is that she passed away and she has a brother in Canada that nobody knows how to contact. Oh. There's no contact information. So he doesn't know. And there's no way the, the weirds, the real estate people don't know. None of the neighbors know there was no contact information. And it's just sort of that sad thing that this woman lived for 50 plus years in my building. I don't know her last name. And her, she's gone, and her her stuff is in the trash bin outside, oh. and nobody can contact the brother. And it's just it's very sad that you can have this whole life. And I think gone. the fact that you didn't know her last name is irrelevant. I you agree. Her heart. She was your. She was Lillian, your she neighbor. That's Lillian. what she was. Yeah, she was just Lillian, who yeah. was always there, you know. And to, to imagine being in your apartment for fifty plus years and just you know being that person that everyone talked to every day i've crossed the 50 yard line of that but i haven't reached 50 yet. <laughs> I'm at the 50 yard line i mean i I've, what a beautiful tribute to her in memory of her um yeah i'm always like when i used to flea market a lot you know because there are photos i have in my apartment i'm a single man i have brother and sister but it's like there are pictures that are just like the Mona Lisa of my family, you know, like pictures of my brother and sister and I that I have around. And then I'm like at the, in a parking lot in Pasadena at seven in the morning and I'm looking through old photos yes. <laughs> somebody, and it's like, yeah, no, I don't want this photo. I only connect, you know, collect photos of Shriners and people holding fish, you know? So it's just like, I imagine that, you know, you just flash forward to your passing and your stuff being dumped off at the yes. market if you're lucky and people going, yeah, well, yeah, I, yeah. If you're lucky, exactly. I hope someone gets some pleasure out of my shit at the flea market as opposed to it just going in the trash that's my fear just like yeah. what 
I do remember there was um, uh, on on General Hospital one time. Yeah. I know that there was a great line that Tracy Quartermain had after her her father died, and she the Quartermains were this great family on the soap opera. And all over the years, all of the characters, all of the Quartermains have passed on. And Tracy was at the crypt looking up at her father, and she said, "Who will remember those days that we spent at the lake? That there was nobody left around to remember." Those childhood memories that get a little teary eyed. Yeah. Just thinking about there, there is that moment where you're the only one left, and it's sort of it's sad. Yeah, I'm not there yet, but we have to love every. We have to love each other and love every moment and try to scrape off the crud of life and enjoy each other. Oh you know what I mean? This is it. This is it. Yeah. Well, rest in perfection, Lillian. James Lillian, yeah. That's beautiful. And now back to the crud of life. Number five. Number five. So, speaking of Tom's anhedonia, I can relate to this. I'm having sustained anhedonia. I went to see you two at the sphere. Was this before or after you saw Kylie? So Kylie the night before, and the next okay. feeling so you're full of Kylie, angry, intimate, beautiful, you, magical, right? Beautiful, intimate experience, dancing and loving every second. You two at the sphere. Now, I have expectations about the sphere because it is the world's most interesting building. In fact, but this is what I wrote on my Instagram. Yes. It's an incredible achievement to reduce the most extraordinary building in the world to something profoundly dull. And you two aced it. I was shocked. I thought this would be a show to end all shows, stunning visuals many of which I've seen on Instagram of the incredible visuals. And to be sure, those bits are in it. But most of the show, it's just black. There is nothing on the inside of the world's largest TV screen. Except at times, a little picture of Bono projected on the wall like it's some sort of... So... The incredible video that we see on the outside, which is mind-boggling and mind boggling. architecture and, and media this level. Inside it's just plaster, it's not screens. No, inside it's screen, but when you two take the stage, apart from a few moments, the screen is basically off. And you're just looking oh at those tiny teeny fuckers on stage singing their dreary songs and listening to Bonu that pompous, self-inflated, messianic, delusional rock star bore. Goodness, do you like Bono? I can't quite get it. No, I yeah, didn't go to see Bono. Bono. I, I went to see The Sphere. I was so excited. I like Because I. it's true, I do have an inherent dislike of you too. But I was like, it's The Sphere. It's going to be just visual. It's you too. They're going to do something How do you amazing. screw up The Sphere? How is it possible to screw up The Sphere? And they did it. They did it. They you think really it's their did. fault and not like, did they make bad? I'm just curious because, you know, not the same thing, but the mm. ABBA voyage mm. uh, thing they saw in London yeah. is spectacular visually. I know, you know, it, it, you know, there's just right. so much happening right now visually and they built this whole building. It's just like, do you think someone's going to come in and figure it out? Well, there isn't a problem with the sphere. I think it's absolutely the problem with the act. And I think perhaps maybe they thought, that they didn't want to get over. You know, they've always been a band that's had problems with spectacle and always been committed to authentic rock and roll. And I bet someone was thinking, 
we're not going to let ourselves get overshadowed by special effects. We're going to keep the focus on us at times. And it's like, who cares about you? We're not there for you. We're there but to see this amazing thing. Someone as pompous as Bono would want to just have his whole face in a wraparound sphere going around. I mean, like his right. ego is big enough to fill the sphere that you would right. think that they would have just used it. Like it could have just been his face and he would have been happy. Why? How can you screw up the sphere? I well, just... they somehow did. And, and, and literally, Tom, like I, my stomach didn't give out on me, but I would like, we were like, we were just over it. We left before the end because oh, it was like, goodness. this is just boring. And, oh, if you're you 2 and you do, you've had all those hits, wouldn't you perform them all at the Sphere in a Vegas show? Why we want to go and hear Actung Baby, one of their less interesting albums. Of only I mean, it was like, you need Madonna there. You need yeah. Beyonce there. You need Cher need- there. You need Cher and Diana Ross. They will do it. They'll yes. their faces up. Yeah. And the other thing I will say about the sphere, and this is a criticism of any, there's no cell phone service inside. So if you can't be posting while you're in, like, it just felt like weird that here we are in the, the world's largest TV screen, but you can't post. Benton, <laughs> like, I think you and Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawke should get some whiskey and talk about this, about your, your attachment I, to posting while watching it. I, th- there was a particularly awful moment where, Obviously, at great expense, an enormous string was lifted up, and then they projected a balloon on the on a bit of the roof, and Bono was holding the string, and it was like sort of sub Banksy, pointless, minimal, cheesy, and, and and then someone on my Instagram said, "Well, you know, maybe they were there to eschew artifice and show that they're the real thing." I said, "Well, okay, go do that, but don't do that at the Sphere." Yes. Don't don't yes. charge me a thousand dollars a minute either, you know. They should have put you two in the Venetian and Kylie at the sphere. That's what they should have done. All Kylie right, should have just followed you around all weekend and performed wherever you were. Well, I don't, I don't. and then at some point, because it was really crowded on the floor, um, and you know, like when you're like in standing room only, that sort of thing, yeah. and people are pushing past you because they want to get to the bathrooms or the bar. This man said to me, he said, Will you please stop touching my wife? And it's like I'm not touching your wife. I'm gay. I'm just being pushed by everyone who's pushing past me. You stop touching my wife in a crowded concert. Did you say you were gay? Did you come out to this guy? I just said I'm gay. Why do I don't want to touch your wife? Did you kiss him? Did you kiss him? Tell the truth. No, I said I'm leaving. And he said, No, no, I don't mean for you to leave. I said, No, I'm leaving. I'm done. I'm leaving. I was just cross. So Well, I'm angry with him for saying that to you. How dare he? It's touching my wife. I mean, you flatter I mean, yourself. Like. Many people are confused. Gay, British, who knows? Well, there you go. Yeah. All right. Well, Blake, if you got a question for us. I do. Hmm. You know, um, Sinead O'Connor's most famous song, Nothing Compares to You, was written by Prince. Who right. did he write it about, though? Alan Smithy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have the answer right after the break here on The Wow Report. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to Wow Report. It's Benson here with Tom and James and Blake. Yes. Prince wrote Sinead O'Connor's Nothing Compares to You. But who did he write it about? Apollonia? No. No, it wasn't sexual at all. Jesus. 
<laughs> it was his housekeeper, Sandy. Yeah, she had to go home to like deal with a family matter. And they weren't, she was young and like handled everything at Paisley Park. He had just started it. And she had to go home and he was like, when's she coming back? And so he wrote the song about her. She was the one who planted all the flowers in the back backyard and all the rest. I don't believe you. <laughs> well, I'll send you the link. We are counting down the top 10 things of the week that made us go, wow, we've reached number four. Number four. Um, seeing a lot of Oprah on TV these days. Dressed in purple, usually. This, I cannot believe this. This is. I'm gonna. Be, I'm already outraged. I know what you're going. Where you're going with this? Go. Oh my! I don't even know where I'm going. He seems so sure. Um, she finally revealed in People magazine after her 40 pound weight loss journey in the last week and a half. I exaggerate. I exaggerate. That she has been using. She didn't say which brand, but I'm saying Oprah Ozempic. It's just fun to say together that she's been using a diet aid. You know, one of these drugs, and she this finds after little... denying it and being the face of Weight Watchers. Be that's the, the, the that's the thing right there. Is she well, still a face of Weight Watchers? Yeah, I all no, of these the things ran through my mind because the last time I saw her, like uh, with Gail King earlier this week on CBS this morning, and she was like, you know, you just have to change everything. And it's like, don't just say you have to say everything because Ava DuVernay. I don't know anything's for a fact. Sue me, people. You know, her Vanessa, well, everybody who looks skinnier, those housewives, everyone who's the skinniest they've ever been at 60 or 65 or 70 are on Ozempic people or the, or the like. So, oh, hi. I, 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 way, don't think you, I don't think you want to hear my opinions on Ozempic. You can. I, I am too. By the way, I am too. I am too. I know. And all I, three of you. <laughs> I lost 20 pounds. No, my problem is I've been on, this is my third journey since last year because I couldn't get it. Like I was in, I was in Europe, and I had because to it was going towards the people who need it. Well, I I got mine because I was pre diabetic, and now you know we get it. But it, hopefully, there'll be enough. They'll manufacture enough because it's a great thing. But yeah, it Oprah we hired to a standards, and and I looked it up, and Weight Watchers actually can hook you up with Ozempic. But now mm. there's this whole rift between like the old fashioned count your points. So, and then Oprah had a quote and I had it and I lost it, but just how her whole life, she thought she was lacking, that she didn't have the self-discipline, but in fact, it was something in her brain that she can actually turn off. So, uh, it's not going away. The fact that she lied about it makes me so furious and the fact that she didn't own a, and then we saw her on the red carpet and she had Ozempic face. We all know what Ozempic face looks like. We, I can see it the minute. I can see your Ozempic face. Don't tell me you you're you you're not. You know what Ozempic face used to be called? Al Roker face. But now what? Come on, that was a joke. Remember when Al Roker lost yes, all yes, the yes. Well, I, I'm old enough to remember uh, 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 Oprah wheeling out the the wheel yes. the wheel thing full of fat, the bags of fat. And you know she has sort of said that no, in this people article that nobody has had her her weight more scrutinized and exploited than hers. Elizabeth Taylor is entering the room. Marlon Brando would like to have a word. Okay, don't you give me feel, that crap. Oh, you you are the only person who has ever been t- right. scrutinized for your weight. And and Oprah has has you know uh, used her openness and the topic to benefit her own uh, platforms. So. Uh, 
it, that, that's all. It's just Oprah is on Ozempic people. So, you know, this, you know, if, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck and swims like a duck, it's probably on Ozempic is all I'm saying. And just to say that Novo Nordisk, who make um, Ozempic and uh, one of the other ones. Like Ovi. But, yes. Mm-hmm. In Nor- they're based in Norway. Are making so much money, they're able to lower everybody's taxes in Norway, and they have lowered everybody's taxes. That's hot. Yeah. Well, my doctor if, said if, this if, if Oprah's drug. lowering taxes in Norway, go Oprah. Although I also saw an article, Tom, where they say that actually these things are also—they're not just reducing your appetite; they're reducing every kind of desire and your ability to experience pleasure. Is wait. That's what you guys are all saying that you can't find any joy in anything. Oh! Your yes. So you need to see Maestro, James, without your Ozempic and tell us what it's really like, what the movie's really like. You'll probably cry and have feelings and and you'll probably like, love you Robert's too at the spare. That you guys that you both keep talking about. Yeah, I'll probably I'll probably it'll probably be the favorite movie I've ever seen. So <laughs> if James thinks May December sucked off of Ozempic, then uh-huh. yeah, uh-huh. it must really be bad. I think we changed the name of the show from the Wow Report to Ozempic versus Off Ozempic. On Ozempic versus Off Ozempic. What, what's we you know? It's it's like it's like point counterpoint. <laughs> well, maybe we just call it the Anhedonic Top Ten. The things that made us. Go mm, every week. Number three, Jay. Merchandise, merchandise. Number three. Number three. Well, sort of in that same vein of things, I, this Christmas, I am really tired of <laughs> <laughs> of Rudolph and Frosty and Charlie Brown Christmas. Story. You see? I am so tired. I the one that I'm. I was going to talk about was that damn um, Hershey's Kisses commercial with ding 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 ding. ding yes, I remember you talking about that. I, and how upset it made me that they've been doing it for like 39 years. They haven't changed it up. But then I learned a fact that the reason why they don't change the commercial is so that they can get they don't spend money on the commercial so that they can give their company their workers a bigger bonus. So that that's actually a very sweet thing. That the, the reason why the M M&M and M commercial stays the same is so that they can keep their. Anyway, that's 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 not what I'm talking about. I am here for some good news. These are some good Christmas specials on Turner Classic oh. movies that I have watched. That I think everybody needs to make their instant Christmas classics. The Man Who Came to Dinner. Tom, I know you're going to agree with me with Betty Davis, Monty Woolley. Monty Woolley is an acerbic columnist at, like, van- at a Vanity Fair like, um, a- a publication. He breaks his hip and he goes to move in with this hapless family, a normal family in, in suburbia. Yeah. He is this curmudgeonly New Yorker, and he just takes over their lives and, and during Christmas time, and it's absolutely fabulous. Um, Holiday with Cary Grant and uh, Catherine Hepburn. Uh, for the which, first time, like the other night. Yeah, it, it, it takes place during the holidays, and it's just, you know, Cary Grant, Judy, 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 and, and Catherine is talking about the And it's just listening to these two great voices of Hollywood and the way that they talk everything. My favorite holiday movie is Night of the Hunter. Which just saw that. We're watching I just thing. watched it, too. Um, Robert Mitchum is a serial killer preacher. Oh, it's a on children. 
Yes, and he marries Shelly Winter because the children know where the money is buried, where there's money, and he stalks these children who go on the run, and he's a serial killer, and the children are rowing in their rowboat trying to get away from him, and he's chasing them, chasing them, chasing them. And they, they and hook up with Lillian Gish, who's with saved Lillian Gish, the but great it's, it's all about that shot actor. of Shelly Winters underwater. Underneath the water, and her hair is waving. Yes, she's and drowned. And the other thing I'll interrupt your flow is that it was directed by a great actor whose name Charles I'm forgetting. But he used and employed silent movie techniques, which is why things like the 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 Shelly Winters underwater, like there were these epic the rowboats. Yes, yes, yes. But, but it, it sort of it does for it does for Lillian Gish what Sunset Boulevard did for Gloria Swanson. It showed why she was a star oh, in the God. silent movies. It shows why she was a legend and an icon. And she takes care of the kids as they're on the run from this serial killer preacher robert mitchum and she's got this shotgun and she's she's standing in her porch with the shotgun waiting for him to come back and then he comes and he sings her this song and they both sing the song together it's this old spiritual like a spiritual he's singing it to he's singing it to him and And he sings it it, very resilience yeah Yeah. he's a serial killer and he's standing out on by the porch singing to her and she sings it back to him because it's a spiritual that she gets strength from and it, it makes him oh it's so good and i just want to say that steven saban the great steven saban who worked at world of wonder loved this movie and the little girl who knows who the money she knows where the money is hidden is hidden inside her doll spoiler alert and he <laughs> at, at one point all through the movie they always say what's your name and she always says, says my name's pearl and Stephen Saban used to just say that out of the blue, we'd be sitting there at work, and all of a sudden you just hear, My name's Pearl. And I always think of Stephen when that movie comes on because it's so funny. And he had a little dachshund that he named Pearl. He did have a dog. He'd, he'd, say, he'd say, Her name's Pearl. <laughs> but he probably was signaling that somewhere in his apartment he was millions probably, of dollars. He probably had millions of dollars. In, yes. In his dog, in his dog's bed, or something. Here's right. one moment of the film I want to highlight, which is so weird. But you know how, like, movie violence again is so clean, and you shoot someone, and they fall down. They, you know, it's like bang, they're over, they're dead. There's Robert Mitchum's character gets shot, and you hear him go, oh, 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 like, like, like a wounded beast into the bar. It was, it's a great moment mm-hmm. because it's. It speaks to the pain and the shock anyway. I, I, Didn't I love he have, it. like, love and hate? Yes. He had love written on one on one knuckle and hate on the other. And mm-hmm. he would tell this story about the story. Night of the Hunter. A perfect Christmas movie. If Die Hard Christmas. can be a Christmas movie, Night of the Hunter. Okay, okay. Number two. Number two. The Kingdom, the Power, and the Glory. For thine is the Kingdom, the Power, and the Glory. Is the title of a book. Um... It's basically the crack up of the American evangelical church. It's written by um, Tim Alberta, who wrote the Atlantic takedown of Chris Licht at CNN. Oh. And what I didn't realize is that he is the son of a minister and is actually a profoundly religious man. And he's written this book about the the way that American evangelists have embraced radical right-wing nationalism and especially Trump. And he finds this as a devout Christian profoundly disturbing. And it's a, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit of a downer. It's like, why do you want to read a book like that? But 
I wanted to read it because I really want to know why or how this has happened. I just do not understand how you can be a devout Christian and then think that your leader is this adult, you know, all those things. I don't want to go off on a Trump rant, but it just makes no sense to me. Um, you know, why has the church grown so paranoid, defensive and apocalyptic? And, you know, thinking that, you know, the uh, the government's out, you know, weaponizing the IRS to attack churches and, you know, closing COVID was a conspiracy and making the churches close down was sort of Satanism and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What's interesting about this book is he really goes and talks to everybody. He talks to all the ministers all across the country. And it's great, but he chronicles it perfectly. But I still don't know why. It still doesn't explain it. Now, James, you were shaking your head like, of course, you know why. Do you? I mean, why? No, no, no. I, I, I think I was agreeing because you know right. I, have a, I have a sister who's an evangelical. Uh, uh-huh. that I, I, I'm estranged from. That I don't. I don't speak to anymore. And uh, my brother, before he passed away, was was very. He would be a Trumper, and he was a doomsday prepper. And he and I just I cannot for the life of me understand. I have a cousin who is very in with Trump. I don't. I don't. I just don't understand how these people what what it is i don't understand what what, what happened i think you're world. either this it's hard to reduce it i'm gonna sound stupid trying to but you either kind of have some kind of optimism and hope and faith in the world and goodness or you are afraid you're you're full of fear now we're all really a little bit of both right but there's right. something where it it separates and the world's against you and it's them and you point outside and then there's no empathy and it's, it's, you know, and it's very primal and it's very animal and it's very, you know, in an apocalyptic movie when everything goes off, you know, the kilter, there goes society, you know, and religion has always been not spirituality, not the spiritual message, not Jesus's message and others, but I was raised with Jesus. They're beautiful messages of, of turn the other cheek and peace and love and understanding and, and whatever you do, the least of my brother that you're doing to me. It, right. But churches have been used to manipulate beyond repair, you know, compare for ever, forever. And always, I suppose, this fear of some sort of evil that's coming for you or that is afoot used to manipulate you into. Yeah. Yeah. And heaven and hell, heaven and hell is such a creepy well, there you go, right? idea yeah. right there. You know, it's like, you're going to burn hell. You're going to burn and, hell. And how Trump factors into all of that is just, that's the, the, the how I, I understand the fear of heaven and hell and the, the, the evangelicals and the wanting to be good, but how they seem to think that Trump is their savior. It's the, it's the golden calf all over again. I just yeah, well, it is. I mean, he kind of concludes that, you know, the problem here is idolatry and that, you know, in that what I guess used to be the separation of church and state is just like, well, these Christians believe they should run the state and that they've become political animals uh, and that they worship a full house. Yes. But it's an interesting thing that the subtitle of the book is American Evangelicals in an Age of Extremism. And all I would say is American evangelism is the extremism that yeah, like it's not yeah. that they're just sort of floating around in this age of extremism they've sort of become they've harnessed it they've harnessed it and weaponized but it. it was a really interesting book because also he is himself devout which i honestly find a little baffling and perplexing you know he he says that you know the lord has blessed his work and i'm like mm. i mean mm. you know each to their own but i'm like 
Whenever God talks to you, be careful. It's that weird thing, you know. I I watch. I've been watching The View a lot, and Alyssa Farah Griffith is somebody who fascinates me on the show because she's a Republican who's anti-Trump, and she's she says you know that she will never vote for Trump, but she won't vote for Biden. She's just going to sit out the the election because she and it's like you see she worked for Trump and she sees how horrible he is, but yet she won't change her affiliation from the Republicans. Mm. It's just it's mind boggling that you can. I just don't understand. I don't understand so many people in the world anymore. And I certainly don't mean to go on about it, but I'm with you, too. I just kind of don't understand it. Like, Tom, I understand people getting some people getting radicalized, but the sort of infection or epidemic of it is just i don't they know they cannot anyway. see it no matter how but we get to throw is. at them and they get to throw at yeah. us and all right you Fair know right. It, it's like you're wrong i'm right you're wrong yeah. I, I don't know it's this bad like yankees red sox game that won't end tis the season spending christmas joy let's take one more break and when we come back the number one thing this week that made us go world of wonders wow report things that make us go wow welcome back to the wow report benton here with tom and james and blake this is our last topical show of the year we've been counting down the top 10 things of the week that make us go wow and we've reached number one number one our christmas present to you wow presents plus christmas present to you christmas eve all the episodes of that Christmas classic, Thunderbirds. James, did you ever watch Thunderbirds? Yes, it was the puppets, right? The classic 1960s sci-fi puppet series with the International Rescue Team. Really, the 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 ground zero of superhero-y type, animatronic-y type, puppet type stuff. And campus Christmas, James, Lady Penelope is a sort of amazing Barbie figure, but super posh, rides around in a fabulous pink Rolls Royce with a completely perspex dome and a license plate, Fab One. I mean, I, I and, and she has a butler called Parker, who always goes, yes, my lady. And I just love it. Lady Penelope is kind of like a, imagine Kylie Minogue at 75 or something. Well, wait, wait. So wait, wait. It, it's it. You is available for viewing. What? What? what is yes, your... Christmas Eve. We're dropping all thirty-two episodes on Wow Presents Plus of the. Wait, how did we? How did that happen? We licensed them, James. The... How did you license them? That's incredible. That's that's crazy. I know. I know. It's a camp classic. It, it really needs to be seen, and it feels like. It just belongs on Wild Presents Plus. Twill be the night before Christmas. Ah. And all over the house, no one was stirring, not even a mouse except a Thunderbird. Awesome. Well, that's it. That's just crazy. Are you excited? I'm so excited. That's amazing news. Oh, okay, good. Well, it's a present to you, though. In lieu of a bonus this year, you get to watch (laughs) something on Wild Presents Plus. Something on Wild Presents Plus that's like 60 years old, but... (laughs) like you james so oh uh, isn't that funny no <laughs> <laughs> oh, well we should wish everybody a happy holidays and thank you so much for listening and um same time same place next week
No, next year. We won't see each other. Same time, same place next year. Until then, go out and have a holidays that make the world go wow. wow.